This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. In early 2010, God first spoke to me about moving back to Albemarle and starting a church. And the truth was, I was really comfortable and um, being fairly successful in the role that I was playing in the church that we were at in South Carolina. And around the same time, you know, my, my wife got pregnant. And we've been, you know, I mean, praying and practicing for a long time, <laughs> waiting for that day to arrive, right? And it's kind of interesting, you know, I think that I learned a lot about the way that God works through that season. Because when you're pregnant, when you were, I wasn't pregnant. My wife was pregnant. I don't, I, I, you know, I'm just going through that as she goes through it. But, you know, when, when that happens, you, you know something's happening, but you can't see it yet. You know? So you, you're, like, you're like in love with something that you've never seen before. And the video that we just shared is a church that, that almost now five years ago, God told me could come into existence. And I couldn't see you at that moment, but through faith I could, right? But now I can. I can see you. And I know your names. And I've seen your stories begin to unfold. And see, the thing is, the dangerous thing about God giving us a moment and a target and a vision is that one day we might just get there and stop. That we might get to the place that God's called us to and go, all right, we've, we're at the glory land now, right? Instead of continuing to go to God and say, God, can you show me what you see? See, we've started a new series a few weeks ago called What God Sees. And the real prayer that's kind of laying the bedrock for this series comes out of a prayer that Moses prayed in the book of Exodus. See, Moses was this great instrument that God used. He, he brought him back to Egypt when all the Israelites had been enslaved. And through the work that God did through Moses, right, he uh, brought those, those slaves, the children of Israel, out of Egypt through this great miracle. They walked through the middle of a sea on dry land. God delivered them from slavery. And then we find Moses praying this prayer. In Exodus 33, 12 and 13, you, God, have told me, I know you by name, and I look favorably on you. So if it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. You see, Moses is saying, God, we haven't arrived. We're not there yet. God, and I know a little bit about you, but I don't know everything about you. And so would you, God, please continue to let me see what you see? Help me to know your ways so that I, this favor, the, the things that you've been doing through me, what we've experienced, God, I don't want it to stop now. 
I want to continue to live in that. So please let me, God, see what you see. And in the first week, I gave you two reasons why we need to continue to do that. And so I thought I'd revisit those today in your notes. The first reason that we need to continue to go back to God and say, God, teach me what you see is number one. We can't see or know everything. All right, listen, I'm not calling you stupid, all right? I'm not calling you that. See, the smartest and brightest and most capable of us know a lot about a little. And if you've ever spent time with them, I mean, some of the smartest people in their field, if you've ever been able to be around those people, you know what you find? That they're quite humbled by what they know because they know that it's not exhaustive. See, that's the reality that we live in. We don't know everything Proverbs 3, 5 says, don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. I mean, God knows it all. He does. And I've said this before, but let me just say it again. I don't want a God who only knows what I know. I want a God who's smarter than me. I want a God who, who sees things that I could never see. So we continue to go back and say, God, Help me see what you see, not just because of that, but because of number two, that God sees what's best. Even our best laid plans, right, pale in comparison to what God could do through us. Our best ideas on our own, our, our best is nothing compared to God's best for us. See, God sees what's best. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, God is speaking to us. And he says this, My ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. What I see in you, what I see for you, my plans for your life, they're so much better than what you could ever come up with. My ways, God is saying, so much better. And so we want to continually go back to God because we can't see it all. We don't know what's best, but God does. So we go back and say, God, show us what you see. As I was preparing for this week, I thought, I thought maybe every experience that we go through in life, every single one, the triumphs and the tragedies, every single experience that we have in life, is God opening up our perspective so that we can see what he sees. I'm going to show you how that practically works in Matthew 7. Okay, in Matthew 7, Jesus is teaching on prayer. All right, now we can talk about prayer out of this, but I want you to see how Jesus is going to take something that every human being can relate to and help it shape what we can see in the heart of God. Matthew 7, beginning in verse 9, Jesus is teaching on prayer. He says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, now I didn't call you evil, okay? Jesus said you're evil, so I'm sorry. That's his verdict on you. All right, so if you, then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now think about this with me. Jesus is trying to communicate and let us see what prayer looks like from the perspective of God. And what does he use? 
He uses the relationship between a parent and their child. Something that every human being can relate to. Perhaps everything that we go through in life is God opening up our perspective so that we can better see what he sees. I want to show you three things that I think are important for us to know that God really kind of anchors throughout the narrative of Scripture that are important. And I think it is helpful because it helps shape what we see. The first one is that God presents himself to us as a father. God presents, this is the language that God uses to describe who he is to us. I mean, here Jesus is teaching on prayer, and he draws this direct correlation between the way that a child would ask his father for something. We know that as Jesus would pray to God, he would describe him as God the Father, that God is the good parent. And think about that with me. There are some of us in the room that the word father is not good. But you know what? In God, you can find a good father. You can experience the father that you can trust, that you feel loved and valued and appreciated with. Maybe you never had that with your earthly father, but you can have that with God as your heavenly father. But, but let's just even get more practically um, dealing with that term, right? Sociologically, if there is a single parent family a single parent that is raising kids, it is much more likely that a mom raise kids than a dad as a single dad, all right? Much more common, much more likely. So God, in his wisdom, years ago, decided to say, hey, I'll be a father. Just talk about me as a father. Now, it's interesting that throughout Scripture, God presents himself several times as a mother, too, all right? So we used some of those Scriptures in a video that we showed at Mother's Day. So God is the good parent. He presents himself to us as a father. Number two, the Bible describes us as God's children. Now, that means that there's a relationship that's there, and it's quite different than other sorts of relationships. You see, as a a child in a family, you have certain rights, certain access, certain privileges, don't you? We have those. Think about this. This is what John, uh, 1 John 3 says, and this in the first verse. Uh, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that's exactly what we are. We, we are children of God. He, he loves us. In, 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 in that passage that we just heard about, when it comes to prayer, Right? Jesus is telling us, listen, when you think about prayer, think about, think about a child asking a, a father, like, Dad, I'm hungry. I need some food. Right? What, what dad that has food looks at a hungry kid and doesn't give him food? I mean, really? And Jesus says, hey, if you, if you can relate to that, like you would give him food, just think, you're evil. God is good. How much more will God give? And number three. This is important. We have all been adopted into God's family. We've all been adopted into God's family. 
Now, we have a, a ton of families in our church in the last few years that have adopted kids. Can I just tell you something? Anytime you go through an adoption, there's a price to pay. Right? Not just monetarily. There's just a price to pay through the process. Do you realize that we all chose to rebel against God? We walked away from his family. But God chose to pay the price so that we could be a part of his family. And he sent his son Jesus so that we could be adopted. And, right? He gave him to be sacrificed, to be the atonement for our sins. Jesus paid the price for us to be a part of it. That's why in Ephesians 1.5, the Bible says this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. So I think that perhaps maybe buried within the context of our families, there's, there's such a wealth of perspective to be gained about our relationship with God. I can tell you this. We have, we have two, two kids. Uh, Adelaide is our little girl, and Addie will be four this summer. And, and our little boy, Clay, he is, um, he's about one and a half and, and crazy. Okay, he's just a mess. So if you ever meet him, he's just this little mess of a little boy. That, but he's uh, unbelievably fun. And I can tell you that from, from both of them, I, I'm learning much more than I'm teaching. I don't, I don't know if other parents would identify with that. I mean, I'm, I'm learning from them a lot more than I'm ever teaching them. I'm, I'm getting a lot more than I'm ever giving. So I want to walk you through something that I've noticed as a dad. And I want you to see a reality that is within these six statements that is true for us. You know, the first thing that I notice about my kids is that my kids don't have anything without me allowing them to have it or me purchasing it for them. They don't. There's not a toy in their room. There's not a piece of food that goes in their mouth that they don't have without me buying it or me allowing someone else to give it to them. So y'all, as we go through this, think about you and the Father. Number, number two, they practically and legally do not own anything. Now that's a newsflash to them. I mean, it is. You know, they don't want to hear that, but they don't own anything that's in their room. I mean, legally, it's all mine. Which is tough, because number three, they grow very attached to the things that we give them. Very attached. I mean, my daughter is notorious. She, I think she watched Toy Story a lot when she was really little, and I think it's just kind of infected her brain in the way she thinks about it. I think she thinks toys have feelings, and she wants to be kind to all of them and be equitable in the time that she spends with them. And she gets devastated if she loses one of them. All right? Because she grows attached to the things that we give her. Number four, y'all know this if you have kids. I've never had to teach them the concept of mine. Ever. Never had to teach that concept. All right, my son is 18 months old. He is barely verbal, starting to put together some awesome sentences like, me, cheese, kitchen. 
Right? That's my favorite sentence he's got right now. That means he wants to go in the kitchen and get some cheese. But see, he, every time I hand him anything, whether it's his sister's toy, it's something that I have that he's interested in, whatever it is, it all of a sudden becomes his. Mine, mine, mine. I've never had to teach that, but I have found that number five, sharing and appreciation has to be taught. Sharing and appreciation has to be taught. There's research that came out about six months ago. I've shared it on my blog and on Facebook before that shows that there's a direct correlation between parents who force their kids to say thank you and the level of appreciation that they feel when they become young adults. Okay, can I just tell you that kids don't naturally show appreciation? They don't. They don't naturally share. You have to make them do that because they naturally default to it's mine. I don't care what it is. It's mine. I own it. I know you own it, but I own it. No, it's mine now. That's where they go, right? But you want to know what? Number six, I take great joy when I see my kids giving, sharing, and being appreciative. You see, the thing that will unlock my daughter's capacity to get more out of me greater than anything else she can do is when I give her a present and she is legitimately appreciative. Because when that happens, I want to give her more. When I see her taking care of what she has, when I see her willing to share and give to her baby brother, I think you can handle having a little bit more. And I think that maybe in that reality, and that's a reality that many of us have seen, that God is pointing us to something that he wants us to see. See, today we're going to deal with the question, what does God see when we give? What does God see when we give? And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where Jesus tells a story in Matthew 25. Now, in Matthew 25, the story is called the parable of the talents. Now, just to kind of help you understand this, if you're not familiar with that, it is not talking about innate talents like I can tap dance. Okay, y'all didn't know that about me, right? I'm going to clog later on in the show today. But, but, you know, it's not talking about that, right? It's talking about a, a, a kind of a portion of money. That's what a talent was. And so um, to, to help you understand kind of the way this story goes, I'm just going to tell it to you kind of in plain, plain language. There was a, 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 a very wealthy man who owned a lot of property. Now, realize this is well before FDIC and banks, right? If you had money, you did not go down the street to the bank and deposit it into account where it was guaranteed up to $10,000. That didn't happen. All right, what you did is you found ways to allocate your resources where they could grow a little bit. So this master is about to leave town. He's going to go on a trip. He's going to be gone for a while. And he brings in three of his servants. Now let's just think about it as three employees. He brings in three employees and he gives them each, the scriptures as Jesus tells the story, he gives them each different amounts of talents. And the Bible says according to their abilities. So some of these were a little bit more skilled than the other ones. So think about a talent as about $10,000. Okay? It was a pretty significant amount of money. 
And so he gives one guy a, a one talent, there's $10,000. He gives one three talents, $30,000. He gives one five talents, $50,000. Now I love that the scripture by God's providence would, would translate the, the term into talents because this story is not just about money. It's really about everything that we get to steward or manage. Because can I just tell you that your time is not your own time, right? Your, your talent, your innate talent, your abilities that you were born with and the ones that God has given you, they're not yours either. And the finances that are sitting in your bank account, they're not yours. This story is looking at that compromise. How do we manage our resources? So the master returns after a time and the, the directions were take this and invest it, all right? This is my bank account. This is how I'm taking care of my resources. You guys take this and invest it. When I get back, I'll, I'll talk to you about it. So when he gets back, the servants are called in. The one with five comes in and says, Master, I invested it. Here are ten. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but that's an awesome rate of return, right? 100%. I gave you $50,000. You brought me $100,000 back. And the master looks at them and says, Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. The one with three comes back in and says, Master, you gave me three, here are six. And again, the master looks on him. Well done, good and faithful servant. But see, the one, the one talent servant, the one who was only given one, comes in and he says this to the master. Master, I know you're a hard man. Let me just say this. Right? If you've got to report to your boss and you think you might be in trouble, that's not the first thing you want to say. Kind of a hard boss. So I didn't do what you asked me to do. That's what he says. You're a hard man. So in, I, was, I was afraid that I might lose it, so I went in my backyard and I buried it. So here's the one talent you gave me. Here's the $10,000. I didn't invest it, but here it is. In this odd twist as Jesus tells the story, this odd twist, the master, instead of being happy that he still has his $10,000, is upset because the servant didn't do what he asked him to do. I want you to see four things that I think God sees about giving. Number one, God is the owner, we are the manager. God is the owner, we are are the manager. Let me, I'm just going to go back through those. You do not own your time. You don't. Let me just give you a word of caution. I, I've, I've had to do funerals for people this year who thought they had another month to get their relationship right with their kids, and they didn't. Okay? I've, I've done funerals for people who thought they had another day to get that relationship right, and they didn't because their time was up. See, God owns your time. Is a plan for your time. God owns your talents. He stitched you together inside the womb. He brought you into this world. He has gifted you as you have grown. He owns that in you. He's given that to you. And he has a plan to use that. And see, all the things that sit in our bank account, the resources that God has given, God owns that too. God's not impressed by how much money we have. He's the owner. We're the manager. And he has a plan for those things. 
And you know what? It's best for us to follow his plan. Can I just tell you something else that we don't own? Just to kind of break this for you. We don't own our kids. We don't. Our kids belong to Jesus. Now we get to be a manager for a little while. But he owns them. He's the one that brings them into existence. He's the one that can sustain them and grow them. He is the owner. We are the manager. Number two, God expects us to invest our resources. I love this story. I love it because as the story begins to unfold, the only thing that's really charged to the servants is, hey, it's my resources. Here it is. You go invest it. Go invest it. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I'd love that. Give me $10,000. Let me go invest it somewhere. Right? That seems like a pretty fun job for a while. And what does God get upset about? What does he kind of show us in this parable that he might be, is, is us having that resources and not being willing to invest it. See, here's, here's the thing. Giving is an internal invest, investment. Giving is an inter, eternal investment. The Bible tells us that we are to store up treasures in heaven, not here on earth. And that's what happens when we give. That's what we're doing. We're, we're storing up treasures in heaven. It's an eternal investment. But here's the thing about, about giving that I want you to see. Every investment involves risk. See, if I gave you $10,000 right now and you were to go find a place to invest it, even if you went to probably one of the safest places that you could go to, a mutual fund, right? There's still the percentage chance that you might lose some of that money. Now, we believe that if we put it in a mutual fund, just let it sit there for 20 years, we're going to gain, right? But over the next six months when I came back, you may say, Master, I don't have $10,000. I have $9,500. I lost $500 in the investment. See, investment always involves risk, and we have to decide in the, in the face of risk, what are we going to be the most afraid of? Are we going to be, what, what is going to be our greatest fear? Either it's going to be losing that resource or disappointing the master. What's going to be your greatest fear? See, because we, we find in, in this one servant, that his greatest fear was losing the resource. I didn't want to let it go. I knew that you might get upset if I didn't have as much as you gave me. Or are we going to disappoint the master and not run his play? What is the greatest fear that we have? Because God expects us to invest our resources. Number three, if we're faithful, God will give us increase if we're not faithful to God, he can't trust us with more. Now, I want to spend some time talking about that. Because this idea that really emerges as this passage of Scripture comes to a, a conclusion has been, honestly, it's been preached in different circles, different ways. And so I want you to understand that the increase always belongs to God. All right? It's, it's, and it's not, there is no definite description of how that's going to happen. But let me just give you some practical understanding of what that means. 
All right, we talked earlier. We said, hey, one of the resources that we have that God owns that we need to be a steward of, we need to be a manager of, is our time. Do you realize that God has a plan for your time? How many of y'all know that? God has a plan for the way that you use your time. As a matter of fact, it's, it's found and anchored in one of the oldest passages in all the Bible, the Ten Commandments. It's that we would take one day out of the seven and rest. Now, just to kind of define what that means, that doesn't mean you stay laid up in the bed all day, all right? Oh, we love that, right? I want that. God told me to lay up in the bed all day, honey. I'm sorry. See, rest meant to stop working, to stop working. For one day, you need to stop working. And you want to know what's interesting is that there's this emerging body of work that shows that if we will regularly, regularly rest, that it increases our productivity. Right? Specifically, if we'll take one day a week, unplug, detach, and rest, that the other six days of the week will be much more productive if we do that. See, God is giving increase when we follow his plan. Y'all with me on that? That's what happens when we follow God's plan. God gives us increase. Now, that's why some major corporations such as Google are installing in their facilities nap rooms. Y'all want to go work there, don't you? I can go take me an afternoon nap and get paid for it. Right? That'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? Because when we follow God's plan, God provides increase. But see, the thing is, is that when we don't, we prove to him that he can't trust us with more. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 25. He's speaking um, towards the end of this parable. And he says this, To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have in abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Y'all listen. The principle is quite simple here. Be faithful with a little and God will give you more. When I started in ministry, let's just kind of think about those talent guys, right? When I started in ministry, I was not a five-talent guy. I was a one-talent guy. I mean, the truth was is that I was a little nervous to stand in front of people and talk. I had never played a musical instrument and or sang or wrote a song or done anything like that. I was a one-talent guy who believed that God could take that talent and do something with it. And so God pointed me into a direction and said, go invest. And I did. And I went and invested that with one talent and a little while later, God came back and said, show me what you got. And I said, look, I've got two talents now. And then he pointed me in another direction and said, go invest those. And I did. And I went and invested them. And then he came back after a while and said, now show me what you got. And I said, well, look, now I have four. See, it's not the amount of resource. It's what we do with it that matters. Because God can take somebody that has very little 
and do a lot with them. And you want to know why? Because when that happens, everybody sits back and goes, that had to be God. I mean, if you knew me 20 years ago, you'd be sitting here going, this has to be God. (laughs) There's no way in the world. Because it has to be. See, I think that we see in a family something that we see that, that kind of clicks to where the heart of God is when we give. And number four, that when we give sacrificially and generously, our Father sees an opportunity for us to experience His love. And there's nothing that moves my heart and my kids other than watching them right, give, be appreciative. Right? The, the, when I see my daughter take what she has and share it with her brother, I, I, I sit there and think, you can, you can stand under the weight of having one more stuffed animal because you're willing to share the one you have. But when I watch her be stingy and selfish, all I can think is you have too much. See, I think that when we give, something happens in the heart of God. And we connect to God in a way that we can experience his love in a profound way. So I think we do that because that's who God is. John 3, 16. You all know this. Think about this with me. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Who is God to you? Right? God is a giver. God has given more to you than you could ever dream about giving him. And I think that when we somehow become the kind of people that say, God, here's my one talent. I'm going to give it to you. Something happens that connects us with his heart and we can experience his love in a way that we never could. Because God gave to you. I mean, he gave his son, Jesus, so that you, though you had ran from him, though you had failed him, though, though you were sinful and broken, God gave his son Jesus so that you could be made whole through him. He paid the price. He paid all the price. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You can be a child of God because God has given you that right. And I think that when we give, Somehow it connects us to his heart in the same way. Let's pray. God, today, as we think about what it means to be a giver, God, what it means to be someone that follows you, someone that's embracing the gifts that you want to give us. God, when we think about all of this, God, we we just want to just stand here and say thank you. Thank you for giving so generously to us. Thank you for being the kind of faithful father that, that gives us good gifts. God, we just ask right now as we sit here that you would remind us of the great gift that we have in Jesus. And some of us here today, we, we, we know about that gift, but we, we aren't living with that gift unwrapped in our lives. We need to. We need to unwrap that gift. We need to get it out and, and use it, God. Because it's no, no good wrapped in the corner. So today, God, unwrap that for us. With every head bowed, eyes closed, let me just ask you today if that's you.
Do you need to experience the gift that is Jesus Christ? Maybe you, you think Jesus is a great teacher. Maybe, maybe you've kind of looked at him and said, I, I, I like Jesus. But have you unwrapped the gift that God gave you through him? The ability to be made right with God through Jesus Christ. If you haven't, there's nothing that you have to do except embrace the gift and let God lead you through Jesus. So if that's you today and you say, hey, that's me. I need, I need this gift right now. I've not been living the way God wants me to. I know that I I need to receive the gift of Jesus today. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? Awesome. Who else? Awesome. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.